Welcome, everyone, to Curious Church Podcast. That's right. Welcome, everyone. If you're sitting there listening, thinking, I don't know, he's probably talking about other people. He's probably welcoming other people. No. Welcoming you, listener. Hey, you, with the earbuds in. Yeah, you. You who accidentally clicked on this link. (laughs) (laughs) Even you. We love accidental listeners. Some of our favorites. (laughs) Um, we, uh, we're, we are back as our guest reminded us. And, um, I think we should introduce them right off the bat. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, for making his 20th appearance. Have to check oh, the is log. that so? Let it be so. Let it be so. <laughs> That'd be exciting. I don't no, know. We should have had a cake then if it was. Yeah, yeah come on. Where's my cake? We welcome back the doctor, Reverend Kevin Adams. Is it Reverend Doctor? I think it's Reverend Doctor. Reverend, I do it wrong every time. Reverend Doctor. <laughs> I mean, they're both in there. So, Reverend Doctor Kevin, welcome back. It's great to be with We're you. We're talking all, about your book always. today, uh, the final, the final chapter. The final chapter. If this was a video podcast, I'd be holding up You'd the be book, holding it up. Yep. Uh, you'd be like, which camera am I? Okay, that one. Okay. And uh, welcome back. Also, another esteemed return guest. It's been too long, though. Dr. Another Reverend Libby Doctor. Backfish. Reverend Doctor, yes. number two. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Always good to be back. Oh, we finally, between Kevin and Libby, yep. Aaron, yep. we finally get to just sit back. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> switch out the show. I'm going to kick that. That wasn't in our contract, <laughs> was it, Libby? <laughs> Not at all. Aaron, okay. I think we should be <laughs> We finally passed on the podcast to our <laughs> next generation. This is, this is the plan. You just keep inviting guests, and then slowly you just say less and less. Very until smart. Until doing their own Very podcast. Very smart. And you're sitting in the corner like Intern Ben that one time. That's a deep, that's a deep cut reference. Intern Ben. I wonder if he's listening. Oh, good old Ben. Well, welcome both of you. Thank you for being here and talking about this book. Again, holding it up. Holding Living it up. underwater. Yeah. Baptism is a way of life. Listeners, you should, hopefully, you've, you're caught up. Um, you had a little bit of homework to, before you listened to uh, this episode. So you finished the book. Right? This, this, well, there's still an epilogue. Okay, oh, maybe we reading, need to do an epilogue episode. But yes, you've made it all the way through. Well done. Well done. Uh, Your first read-through, that is. First read-through. Yeah. And you can listen back to these anytime for a second and third and however many, 20th read through yeah uh we wanted to have libby on today we should say just because we love libby's voice Mm -hmm. and we think she contributes to any conversation she's a part of Mm -hmm. and i talked to kevin i said do you want libby on an episode and before i could even finish the sentence he said yeah of course we should do it so (laughs) thanks libby for helping us out there thanks for having me should we dive in yeah i took a deep breath like i was going to say something but I'm throwing it to you. Okay, both of us did. Well, you did yeah. a great job of welcoming everyone Ugh. at the top of the episode. It's like you, you knew what we we're talking about today. Because yeah. mm-hmm. today we're diving into chapter 12, which is entitled One Baptism. And we can go around and get maybe some initial kind of reflections or thoughts or something that stood out from the room. But in this chapter, and this is a shorter chapter, Kevin, I was, you know, I, in great preparation. Fault. You great fault. <laughs> well, I <laughs> Full disclosure, you know, I outlined the chapters in preparation, so You're I like, have a little bit of That's what the editor sense. should have done. That's uh, what the editor should have done. And then, uh, you know, after our last conversation, the, the identity politics, that is a media and lengthier chapter for good reason. Uh, and then I came to outlining this one. I'm like, oh, this is a little bit shorter. This is, this is an easier final task for the evening's work. Um, but... You're really diving into, and I love that this is sort of a landing place of the book too, the ways that baptism is 
well, really, as you talked about at the end of our last episode, bringing people together. It's drawing people together. You open with the story of Brooke and her enthusiasm and wanting to be baptized. And I love that you ask these questions. Why does someone so eagerly want to join this motley crew of people? (laughs) Why join this congregation that represents, in the most modest way, the global church of all times and places? And, of course, like every chapter, it's full of stories but this, the drawing in nature of baptism is certainly one of the things you're highlighting. But you don't highlight it in, um, one of the things that stood out to me anyway, is you're not highlighting it in a saccharine sort of look at us all unite. In fact, you're going to dive into uh, the divisiveness of baptism in your relationship with Doug. And I'm sure we can talk about that. But I just to kind of kick us off, and then I'd love to hear from others too, uh, things that stood out. I, I just really appreciated that particular move of it's not just like, oh, we're all kumbaya together, but recognizing, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, even even with this framing of baptism, there's still those who say, ah, what you're doing isn't baptism or churches split over this, or that's that's part of the reality that we're navigating. But let me throw it out to others others in the room. Well, I would just like to say that um, Brooke uh, used to babysit our kids. Oh, yeah. Way back in the day. So she was one of our first babysitters. Uh, so Brooke, you're part of the everyone. If you're out there, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Glad you're listening. A huge part of the story for me too was how can someone, how can a someone her age especially be sort of so enthusiastic about this church? Like, what's what's in it for her to be baptized <laughs> as a sort of a high school senior? Um, obviously, she had got. I mean, she had gone through some um, some serious medical stuff, but like after you're like better aren't you moving on mm. with your life in some ways and not coming from a family of faith necessarily, but like a faith curious family. Mm. So hats off to Brooke. Hats off to Brooke. Always. Yeah. She's a gem. Yeah. Mm. Well, we're, we got to circle back to that question later. What's in it for her to be baptized? I love that question. Oh. Aaron. But first uh-huh. Libby, I know there's something, something you <laughs> want to contribute. Oh, I loved all these stories. I love the story of Brooke and Andy and, um, who of Doug at the end there. Um, Stories that really highlight the unity that baptism should symbolize and should really enact, and yet the tensions, because there are different views of what baptism means. And so this quote on page 217, if I'm allowed to quote, I really thought it captured um, the ethos of this chapter. It says, how ironic that the global church splinters over the very sacrament designed to symbolize our unity in Christ. So that resonates with me. I want that unity. I want baptism to symbolize that. But then I'm also a little convicted because I probably drive past 100 churches to get here. <laughs> or there's 100 churches closer than Granite Springs. Be- and one of the reasons is our view of baptism includes my kids as full-fledged Christians, even with their infant baptism. And if I were to go to a church that didn't recognize that, I wouldn't feel that they were as included. So as much as I, want, I do feel unified to those other churches... I personally don't want to worship there every Sunday. So I think there is this tension that you get at really well, especially with your relationship with Doug. And and I know, Kevin, um, your friendship with, um, you've got uh, pastors and priests in so many different denominations. And uh, to see that unity, and yet you still have different views of baptism and sacraments and soteriology. It's a beautiful model for the rest of us. Mm. Well, thanks. I like to tell my friends, you know, I'm okay hanging out with you, even though you're wrong. <laughs> no, te- teasing aside, that's one of the, uh, I think, frankly, unexpected gifts of my life and uh, my being a pastor here at Grant Springs is these connections with wonderful people 
who both think alike and think differently mm. uh, than I do about all kinds of things, including baptism. But I'm just grateful for them. One of the best things someone said about the book uh, so far was, to me, he said, I love all these stories you tell. Even when you disagree with someone and it's clear you disagree with them, you give them grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of our posture towards each other. If we can just say, hey, we can name the disagreements. We can talk about it. Let's be honest because they're there. But let's do it in a way that symbolizes or that lives out our baptism, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least to start start from that posture. So thanks, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. That, that's... Oh. Um, I was, I, I'm not sure if we've told this story yet, Kevin, on mic, but there was, um, this book, I, I, I think I can say has grown out of sort of a, a like a long, like a, a longer study of baptism that we had engaged in as a church, right? So, um, that's maybe going on 10 years or so. And I just remember being on staff thinking you coming to kind of staff with this idea of baptism. And we're all like, oh, I don't know, because like you're saying, Libby, like in some ways it's like, why is this, why is this such a divisive issue when it should be doing like the exact opposite thing? It should be uniting us. But we, every one of our instincts was to be like, oh, I don't know or this, you know, people are going to be mad about this and be mad about this. Um, so, uh, yeah, in a way, like you're saying, Matt, it's not a kumbaya chapter, but it is a let's let's at least recognize what we have in common. Mm-hmm. And maybe that can be our starting point instead of what we don't have in common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the ways, like, even in this chapter, you're talking about ways that baptism sort of becomes a an animating force in a whole host of ways. One of the interesting pieces is Andy's story, which is right after Brooke's story, so it's in the opening chapters. And, and you make this comment. You say, Andy's story shows that our congregation, following the practice of many, invites people into community before... They believe. We find that an experience of belonging, more than well-shaped arguments, helps the gospel become real to our friends. Mm. Then they become ready to join the church of all times and places at any age, and you go on to tell more stories. And Matt, I just you're like you're doing like a, a Chris Matthews hardball thing there. <laughs> you're like a cable news guy. You're like, uh, if, unless I'm incorrect, it says right here that you say blah 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 blah. Is this true? The new name of this podcast, Gotcha. <laughs> the, the, there's, the Gotcha is purely hypothetical because I read that and I thought I can imagine, I can imagine people getting upset at a church allowing people to belong before they believe. Uh, there's all kinds of churches and traditions that want to say, no, the lines are clear, and here's the boundary, mm-hmm. and you have to believe, and then you belong. Uh, and I just thought, as we have this whole conversation about baptism, and actually also as I thought about infant baptism, I thought, is there a way that baptism is framing even that initial move? Sort of even before someone's baptized, there's a, there's almost a welcoming. And I was curious, kind of, Kevin, if you had any reflections on that, because it seemed to me almost resonant with an infant baptism framework where they don't believe, but they belong. And there's always right. kind of this, this welcoming and this drawing in impulse. But uh, yeah, I'm curious, kind of, your reflections yeah. on anyone in the room. Yeah, that's great. Gotcha. Matt. Gotcha. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. No, I do. Th- I well, just tell a story about the church I grew up in. It, to name churches that have very clear boundaries, mm. this is really important. To folks, uh, mathematicians will understand this idea of a bounded set and a centered set, and the differences of that. I won't go into it. But our the church I grew up in was a bounded set, which meant everybody's really clearly in or out. So they would publish back in the days when people had print photo directories. They would publish a directory, 
And if you are a professing member of the church, you would get two stars by your name. If you are a baptized member of the church, you would get one star by your name. If you were neither, you would get... Negative no stars. stars. It, it reminds me of the star belly sneeches and uh, Dr. Seuss. If you know oh, that story, wow. it's worth reading. So that was very clearly who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. But that's not the way of the early church. You know, the early church, and, and even go back to the time of Jesus. So there's someone who comes to Jesus. Jesus says to him, do you believe? And he says, I do believe, but help oh, my, my unbelief, unbelief. right? Yes. Which is where most of us hang out most of the time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we falsely say to people, uh, well, we... we treat our own belief or our, uh, in a, we talk about doubts as something that are outside of the faith, but the book of Psalms teaches us doubts are really clearly inside the faith. Mm. And I do think the idea of covenant baptism, which is what I would call all baptism, people right away want to divide between infant baptism and uh, adult baptism. I want to call the whole thing covenant baptism. The reason to bring kids into the covenant from the beginning is that they are learning to believe and learning to doubt in all the right and healthy ways, I think. Hmm. So pe- they are brought into the stream of grace. They're put into the uh, covenant of grace. They can opt out, but we're going to assume they're in. We're going to love them like they're in, and we're going to help them decide to be in in every way we possibly can hmm. as a way to say, they don't have to go around as third graders or seventh graders or 12th graders thinking, am I in? Do I have one star by my name? Am I out? No, hmm. from the very beginning, they're in. Of course they're in because they're part of God's covenant. We have a family with three uh, small children, and when they come forward for Eucharist each week, you know, we invite people, people can ad-lib, it's okay, but we invite people to say, when we say the body of Christ for you, we invite them to say, thanks be to God. Well, these three uh, say it so earnestly and mm-hmm. so beautifully, and others do too, but as one example of people who, every piece of me says, they're in. And they know they're in. And how beautiful is that? They don't have to go say, do I, do I decide now that I'm going to follow Jesus? No, I'm following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful gift that is, right? Mm-hmm. We're a little biased about that. But I think <laughs> that's the beauty of grace, right? Mm-hmm. I do think there's a slight difference. I love the analogy, but I do think there's a slight difference between a baby who's baptized before believing and an adult who's baptized um, or included into the family of God sure. or the church before believing. And that's that when the baby's baptized, it's the faith of their parents that's going to be nurturing yeah. them into a position of faith, a posture of faith, whereas the adult um, doesn't have that. They're going to be coming to their own faith kind of in a different way. Um, yeah. So I think that distinction is still a little significant. But we do see this throughout Scripture, Old and New Testaments, where there's connection to the community and then there's belonging to the actual covenant And I wonder if we move the emphasis from our decision and our judgment back to God, this is God's work, and if we remind ourselves that God's the one to to judge who's in and who's out, we're not the one to give the stars, then that kind of (laughs) softens the line between... the in and out categories, maybe the belonging. I love that, Libby. And if only we had an Old Testament scholar in the room <laughs> to help us see that. Uh, but at, really, seriously, as you talk, I think of the stories, the stories. I think of Jesus, quote unquote, mothers, right? The story of Ruth. What was it like for her as a Moabitess to come into the family of faith? Mm-hmm. What was that like? What was it like for Rahab, who hosted the spies, to come in after her whole culture was sort of wiped out, to come in mm-hmm. and be part of the tribe? And the list goes on and on and on and on. Bathsheba, just to name the Matthew 1 mothers of Jesus. Um, what's that like? But there's just 
all kinds of examples about people being included and brought in maybe before they had it all figured out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you see that so beautifully in Rahab's confession of faith. She has this dramatic confession of faith, but you can see it's been building and developing in her since she heard about this mighty God who delivered his people. And we, as readers, can't pinpoint when that that right. faith there, happened. There's not a moment in time which she could stand up mm. and, yeah, it was a in-process thing. Mm-hmm. That's a much, much more helpful way of framing what I, what I was maybe fumbling my way towards. Because I think you're right, Libby, that the distinction remains, right? That someone, someone who just joins the community or comes to a a church barbecue isn't suddenly ba- isn't baptized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we right. want to baptize them, right? Like that's that's still something down the line. Um, but uh, but still, the, this idea of being connected to the community and being kind of gradually brought in, I see that as exactly what you were saying. It, it's sort of the community then living out their baptism mm-hmm. looks like that extends that welcome, right? Uh, and goes to sort of the theme of the chapter that's always bringing in. It's always welcoming. It's always kind of open in in some ways. Um, one of the things that's like one of the dynamics of a welcome, right, is that an individual isn't welcomed by themselves. And to go back to my uh, my cable news on page 213. You know? No, but you asked such a good question, so I'm going to quote you anyway, despite my shame at uh, quoting too much. In a culture that highly prizes individualism and independence, one where everyone lives their own brand of free-roaming cowboy, what makes anyone join a congregation? And this goes back, Aaron, to your question earlier, like, what is in it for Brooke yeah. to be baptized? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be curious about kind of anyone in the room reflecting on that question. The whole book is maybe, the whole book is continually answering that question. And mm-hmm. our our whole series on this podcast has been, why was I baptized? Mm-hmm. Exploring that question. But maybe in light of this chapter, I'm curious about reflections. What What's in it for us to be baptized? Not that that's necessarily even the primary question, but what do you guys think? Well, can I, can I... Um disregard your question entirely and ask a different question i want to chart i want to chart how often this happens that is the podcast the podcast in a nutshell right there can i ask a different and better question all right libby's done it once so let's go libby took my question and reframed it very well that's very different than what Aaron's about to do of ignoring my question. Well, ahead, I, poor Matt. I, I attribute this to my... my <laughs> <laughs> the papers are flying around the room. Happy to inspire a different question. My, well, my feeble brain is You're sort of thinking lin, like linearly. Um, I, what I'm curious about is, uh, this is kind of a question for pastoral staff, and it comes back a little bit to the in and out kind of stuff. If, um, if someone walks in the door and wants to be baptized that day that's not really our process Mm. right so i'm curious um for those who have held these kind of like pre-baptismal meetings which is a thing you referenced to kevin in your book like what kind of things go on in that meeting that do because we say there's not an in and out but there is a little bit of something that's going on that stirs people um toward making this decision and then and then that does create kind of a marker it creates a I was before I was baptized and after I was baptized I'm gonna disregard that question and ask another question <laughs> well played <laughs> no it's a really good question and Kevin moved forward so I'm gonna let him answer it well I was thinking Matt is living an example of this uh, sort of in this season of church ministry but it's it's always true 
that people are in process. And it's always true that people come with their understandings of what baptism is, even if they have no understanding or un, uh, knowledge of the Bible or the church. So there are examples like this. This next week, I'm going to preach on the Ethiopian eunuch. So he has what appears to us as kind of a quick baptism. So he's running along with the apostle, and they're having a conversation about the book of Isaiah, which is a beautiful conversation. Uh, and he says, what keeps me from being baptized? The apostle says nothing. So the apostle baptizes, and I think any time an apostle wants to baptize, they should baptize, right? <laughs> but for those of us who are not apostles, we stand on the wisdom of the church, which is it's helpful for folks to have some understanding of baptism before they're baptized. Not everything, but some. And then that varies by tradition. The idea of Lent right, becomes 40 days of preparation, pre, really pre-baptism preparation. And then in the history of the church, Folks walk through Lent with other folks who are about to be baptized, so they are coaching those going to be baptized. And then after Lent comes the season of Eastertide, 50 days till Pentecost, which is its own baptismal training kind of stuff. So I think uh, we would make exceptions. We have made exceptions. There was a young man, I think I tell the story in the book, who was 16 or 17. He becomes a person of faith. He doesn't know how many weeks he has to live. A few weeks before he died, he's like, can I be baptized? Well, the answer is yes, he has a faith. It's a beginning faith, but there can't be 40 days of preparation or 50 mm -hmm. days of preparation. He needs to be baptized then. And, and so we wheeled him uh, on the stage in his wheelchair and he was baptized. And all his friends and comrades from school came a couple weeks later uh, at, to mark his memorial service. So there's always ex uh, examples of, I think, pastoral flexibility or pastoral judgment calls, I think, in the Bible and in real life. But the mainstream is to say, hey, we want to serve you and we want to honor God by preparing you the best way we can. Not fully prepared, because none of us are fully prepared. Because if you go down the fully prepared route, you could say, well, I need to be baptized over and over again as I increase in knowledge. Mm -hmm. But there, the, the church has thought for a long time some kind of baseline understanding of knowing what you're doing. We don't want this to be... A, um, yeah, kind of a impulsive decision. We want you to have thought through things. Yeah. Just to build on that, I think often when there's sort of, um, uh, when someone comes in and sort of wants to be baptized, even on the spot, uh, or, you know, take me out back and if we can find some water, I'm like, I'm good to go right now. Uh, there's often something in their life that's being stirred up and, yeah. uh, and the, very likely the Holy Spirit is stirring that up. And so, so someone might say, well, why are you quenching? <laughs> Why are you quenching that or squelching mm. that desire? Uh, and I think part of it is because our baptism isn't just about us. So maybe lead back mm. to the chapter even a little bit. Um, our baptism puts us into relationship, into covenant with God, but also with his people. And so for just an individual to come in and say, like, well, I'm fine if it's just you and me, which I've had people say, I want to say, well, baptism is bigger than that. Mm. And uh, we don't want to sort of do away with your passion, but we do want to invite you to, into an even richer and broader and recognize that, hey, like, you're now going to belong to this person and you're going to belong to this person. And it's, it's healthy and helpful for there to be a little bit of time for you to, to understand that. So I think sometimes it's also about kind of the, the breadth and the welcome is to God's family. And that puts mm -hmm. you in unity with a whole bunch of people that you might not even know if you're just walking in yeah. thinking, I, I want to be baptized. Right. Mm -hmm. I think there's a parallel here when 
with regard to testimonies. So I feel like sometimes there's a pressure to have a really dramatic, individualized testimony of what God specifically did in my life and how he got me out of the you know, drug overdose gutter. And some students I have feel like, well, I just grew up in the church and that's my testimony. Mm. And one of my challenges is to reorient them and remind them your testimony is part of this bigger story of God's people, that you're unified with this bigger story. Mm. Um, and that is a very dramatic testimony because it's God's story and not just yours. Mm. So I feel like this um, question between baptism being an individual thing and a community thing is similar in some respects, to our testimony of our faith. It's mm. well said. Yep. You know, I, sometimes I think people who are uh, interested in baptism, not always, um, but they are particularly interested in a kind of experience. And as I was reading this chapter, you talk about Doug's baptisms in the ocean. Uh, and listeners, you will just have to read the chapter for Sarah's particular experience uh, that is unique and uh, expletive-laden and exciting. And that should be all you need to go and read the chapter. Um, but I, th I think there's like something exciting. And you even admit in writing the chapter that uh, our baptisms at our church are not quite as thrilling as the ocean waves being involved in baptism. As I read that, I thought, yes, admittedly so. And I thought, is there something good about quote-unquote boring baptisms? Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, what you guys think. And, yeah, is there something good about a less experientially distinctive baptism, so to speak? Just thinking about some of our desires, right, to have distinctive stories or that kind of thing. Well, yeah, what do you guys think? Absolutely, because it makes it less about us and more about what God is doing. Less mm. about our individual experience in that sacrament and more about our community with everyone else, I would say. Hmm. Oh, well, and Jesus' own baptism didn't involve like a waterfall or a... Uh, crashing waves or they uh, involve i guess god like god's voice and a dove it's pretty pretty dramatic pretty good, <laughs> pretty good. Dramatic. yeah that's but the waterfall that's true <laughs> <laughs> but i mean uh yeah but the act itself generally yeah. like fairly simple right yeah I mean, my kids don't even remember their baptism, obviously, because they were babies. And so they sometimes bring this up. I wish we remembered my baptism or Drew will pass a waterfall or the fountains over here by Sun City and tease. I was baptized there because he wants to remember something. Uh, yeah. mm. And we show him pictures and we remind him that even if you don't remember it, it's not about you and your memory. It's about what God did when he marked you as God's person. And that is dramatic enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful, Libby, and this idea that it's God's move, I mm. think, is at the center of what you're talking about and the center of what we want to say baptism is about. You know, we, we played around with this, coming from a tradition where all the baptisms mm. were in church in the front of the service, almost always infant, younger folks being baptized. But so we had baptisms in swimming pools and baptisms in uh, jacuzzis and baptisms in people's backyards. And then eventually we said, you know, there's something, the church, there's a reason there's these traditions. Sometimes people say, oh, it's a tradition, it's stuffy. Well, some traditions are stuffy, but a lot of traditions are really beautiful and wonderful. And the idea of somebody being baptized in a church is quite beautiful. Because in the whole, like to your point with your kids, Libby, they get to see a baptism and maybe relive in some ways or reimagine their own baptism, mm -hmm. for sure what that means. And the people who are new to the church, who um, are exploring, kicking the tires of faith, they can see, oh, this is what it means to be baptized. Hmm. And uh, something, it, it reminds us, 
I mean, there's a reason we do a, a baptismal remembering every single week during the service. Mm. But to have bap- the actual baptisms in the service is really a gift, I think, for everyone. And it reminds us, C.S. Lewis said, one of the, someone said, how do I grow in my faith? He said, one of the best things you can do is attach yourself to a pokey little church. Now, I would argue <laughs> that Grant Springs isn't pokey little, but, you know, we're modest. And so then the idea is, you know, you're part of this group of people, like we talked about before with Brooke and Andy, and that's quite remarkable that this is where, in the global church of all time and places, this is where you get to live your baptism. It's kind of mm-hmm. kind of a nice thing. Yeah, it, it strikes me that there is something, yeah, exactly what you're saying, that the unifying element of a, I mean, I use the word boring intentionally, but really what I mean is uh, consistent, you know, yeah. the, the baptism uh, kind of practice, your baptism looks like, their baptism looks like the next baptism, I think can be a gift in that it draws us together. We talked in the last episode about baptism's leveling effect. Uh, and I think that's something here too, that part of the welcome and part of the drawing together is uh, the the unifying nature of the experience, even if it's not under a waterfall or uh, in the in the midst of an ocean in wave. In a jacuzzi. Or right, something. in a jacuzzi. Jacuzzis would, be, would have been very exciting. We, bubbles? They, bubbles? Yeah. They're warm. Yeah. I, that was something. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's obviously lots... There's lots to say about the unifying impact, but I did want to talk too about the the challenges that we've named earlier. Uh, you know, Kevin, you do, you you talk about your conversation with Doug, where Doug tells the story of this dramatic baptism, and then you also know that in part of that is his thinking. What you guys are doing, the sprinkling that that's not really baptism. Um, one of my questions was, I mean, you're kind of taciturn in, in the chapter about what your response <laughs> <laughs> looked like in the moment. I made him buy breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> no. But like, one of my questions is, what do you, what do you say? How do you begin to engage? Like, this is such a rich vision of baptism, but when that vision is not shared, and yet you think, you feel like baptism is shared, and that's part of your tension too, and the, the conclusion, uh, you're in Jerry's experience in Rome, I think, too. Like, how do we begin to navigate that, and what does that like, what does that look like to begin to have unifying conversations or unifying movements when the unity, at least on one side, isn't there? Yeah, that's such a helpful uh, question. I, I think it's interesting, right? Sometimes the unity's there, sometimes it's not. So I have yeah. a friend who grew up uh, Baptist, was baptized. Uh, his kids were baptized as, I think, junior hires, high schoolers. And then one of them joined the Catholic Church. So he said, what amazed us is the Catholic Church honored our baptism. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Because I think he was thinking to himself, and I know he was thinking this because he told me, if it was the other way around, if the Catholic boy went or girl went to the Baptist Church, it would not be honored. So mm. there's all kinds of ways it's kind of you're included and you're not included. I think one of the ways to practice this is to stay in community with people you disagree with, listen to them the best you can, and take steps towards them. We talked before about one of the gifts of my life for almost 20 years now to be part of this small group of pastors, one uh, Vineyard, which is charismatic, now Anglican, one uh, Wesleyan, now Anglican, uh, one Presbyterian, and one Eastern Orthodox. We have radically different views of baptism. When I go to the Eastern Orthodox monastery, I can't participate in baptism. And I know my friend loves me, and I know he believes in our church. But to honor, he's, he's got to figure out how to honor his tradition, and then hopefully the tradition more and more honors Christ over time. Mm. So I think one of the ways we do this is to step towards each other and to speak as gracefully 
about each other as we can with people we agree and disagree with. And uh, yeah, just keep coming in a community with folks. That's Those are beginnings. They're a little, uh, not magic bullets, but those are <laughs> beginnings, right? Yeah. Libby, I'm curious about your experience. I, I mean, you navigate... Maybe not. Maybe not the baptism conversation on a daily basis, but you're in a you're in a university context. It's a Christian university, and yet there's a large diversity of traditions and even awareness of faith, both on faculty and students. Like when it comes to some of these questions, like how do you, yeah, how do you think about navigating the space as kind of a professor and person in that community? Yeah, very similarly. I mean, there are central aspects of our faith that we all agree on, and then there are a lot of peripheral issues that, Kevin, like you said, we listen to those with whom we disagree. We move towards them with love. We may not change our positions. We don't necessarily have to, um, but I feel like that's a beautiful unifying thing. Um, and we do this more broadly so easily outside of the church. So can I tell a story about the Roseville meat shop real quick? Yeah, go for it. Because I think it illustrates this. So I walked to the Roseville meat shop, nice local mom and pop shop, and the people who work there, they cut up and butcher meat all day long. They love it, right? So I walk in there and I say, hi, I'm a vegetarian. I need to buy some meat for my family. And the guy comes up to me and he says, oh, are you vegan? And I said, no, I, I just, I'm just vegetarian and I'm sorry, I'm probably your least favorite customer. And he said, oh, no, my girlfriend's vegan. Here's this guy who cuts up meat all day long, loves it. He's not going to change on that. And his girlfriend won't even eat butter and honey. <laughs> and yet on the most important things in life, their love for each other and more important things, they can come together and then they can still disagree on this other pretty important thing. And when I was walking back from the meat shop with my disgusting pork rind or whatever I had in my head, I just thought, what a beautiful illustration for the church on matters like baptism, that we can be unified in what matters the most and we can disagree slightly on some of these other things. Hmm. There's an irony to, to uh, like, or there's a tension in baptism and, like, sometimes we, like, it, we, sorry, Aaron, please edit this out. Okay, here we go. There's a tension even in the way we're having this conversation, I think, right? Where, and, okay. Please, here. There's a tension I'm hearing even in this conversation where the book and even this chapter is pointing us towards baptism as central and that it is motivating and it is uh, at the very heart of our Christian life. And yet, when it comes to these conversations, baptism becomes sometimes, depending on who we're talking to, a peripheral, a second order kind of piece. And I think that's a really interesting mm. tension that we navigate and maybe goes to one of the ways that we be hospitable to other people. Uh, but I'm kind of just processing that as I hear kind of both of you, right? Like on the one hand, it is central to our identity. We're all kind of talking about that. That's what this conversation's about. And yet if there's someone that disagrees, we want to move towards them. And the goal isn't necessarily converting them to our particular view of baptism. Like maybe my mind's just trying to process through those, that, that tension a little bit. Maybe you can help me a little bit. Does that, does it make sense? Kind of what I'm, what I'm even hearing how can it be central and peripheral at the same yeah, time? Yeah, but yeah. are we really saying that? Or are we saying that there's something central about baptism that we all agree on, that it marks us as God's people, and yet there are a lot of peripheral things, when someone should be baptized, how, how much water, etc. And maybe those are the things that are peripheral. Is that what we're saying, Kevin? That's, I think, what we're saying, Libby, exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Baptism itself, where there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism as the... Uh, 
good book says, and it's pretty central. And I don't want to say pretty, it's, it's central to the Christian life. We are mm. anchored in our baptism. We die and rise in our baptism. But how much water is used, what age people are, we can have conversations about the differences of opinion. Mm. And teasing aside, I mean, I do want to convert people, mm. but I want to convert them in a baptism way, not by yelling or belittling or um, looking down at, but inviting them into a conversation and saying, you know, you, for instance, take someone who says baptism is their testimony and say, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's right too. But what if it's a lot more than that? What if it's that and a bunch of other things? Could we have Mm -hmm. a conversation about that? Mm -hmm. And that's what the book is trying to do in some way. And it's interesting as I've had some conversations about the book and about baptism outside our community. I think in our church community, people are kind of used to me talking about baptism. <laughs> but outside, people right away want to divide. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not even talking about infant versus adult baptism, but we go there right away. And it's like to reframe it as covenant baptism, to reframe, and that's why I use so many stories, right, as a way to say, when I tell a story of Augustine, he's, let's see, which tradition goes to Augustine? Oh, right. All of them do. <laughs> when I tell a story about Gregory of Nyssa, well, which traditions love Gregory of Nyssa? Well, some more than others, but all of them do. Uh, Charles Wesley, does every tradition love Charles? No, but once they got to know him, they would, you know? <laughs> so it's like you tell stories as a way to kind of enter in, which I think is a biblical mode. So I think it's not only what we believe, but then how we live what we believe. So one of my favorite quotes in the book is by Rowan Williams, former Archbishop of Canterbury. He says, baptized people build bridges. And I think that's just fundamental to living the baptism life yeah. and thinking about baptism. So I, I really wish people would think a little bit more uh, like this ancient way, but I think just showing grace and patience until their eyes are open. I mean, our church, we, we've been here 30 years. 20 years ago, we were baptizing people in jacuzzi. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I would want people to be baptized or to be patient with us. Mm-hmm. And so we can be patient with people too. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else have any questions? I don't mean to just monopolize all the questions. Should I carry on? One more quote. <laughs> 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 because I, it takes us to the very end of the chapter where Kevin... You talk about your desire for unity, particularly flowing out of your experience in Rome, but other experiences as well. And you reflect on the disunity uh, in the midst of a kind of unifying experience. And you say, I resolve to do what I can to live that deep baptismal truth, even while living on this fallen planet Earth, as practice for heaven. And I was particularly captured by that practice for heaven. You kind of introduce. I mean, you're literally using this at the very end of the chapter. You've not introduced that framework earlier in the chapter, but I just thought, is that part of, is that part two of kind of the whole nature of our posture, that there is something in baptism that uh, sort of is projecting us in towards sort of the final realities, but then also the ways we have these conversations, they are driven by the longing for those final realities, that um, baptism really is sort of, a taste, a taste of heaven, and once you taste it, you kind of want it with everyone, so to speak. Yeah, yeah I was, I was curious about that particular choice of of words, but then also it felt so apt for how you were talking about kind of this whole chapter. Um, yeah, any reflections about a taste? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about anything especially profound, but I would say that ache. Libby articulated this, I think, a little bit ago. That ache to be one, that ache to have all the traditions honor and understand each other fully and completely 
is an ache that as you get to know other folks and other traditions, you can celebrate and learn from traditions. But there's part of you that says, can we imagine all being one? Can we imagine agreeing on certain things? We don't even agree on what day Easter is, mm-hmm. Eastern Church, Western <laughs> Church. That seems like a pretty small place to start. We could agree on that. Um, so are there a little uh, momentum we can build to be one in Christ? So one of the things, the last things Jesus does before he dies on the cross is he prays his prayer for unity. And how can we live that prayer uh, to live, our, in a sense, our ache for this uh, one church. I did, I cheated, I can't remember if I said this in the book or not, but I cheated that, that day in Rome. I took Eucharist, even though I'm officially not supposed to by decree of the church, but the way the invitation was phrased, I thought, they're inviting me in and I'm doing it. <laughs> they, they gave a little wiggle room and I thought, if Pope Francis can give a little wiggle room, we can open some doors to each other. You, you did say that in the book. I had a little exclamation mark by it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. he did, he did. Yeah, and by contrast, sometimes I'm in Catholic monasteries and they make it very clear, we don't want, unless you're part of the Catholic Church, you shouldn't participate in Eucharist. Well, then in that smaller setting where they're very clear, mm-hmm. it feels like that's something to honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do get mixed messages. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, a Dutch Catholic priest, when he, I was never at one of these, but when he served baptism, he went out of his way to invite people from all pieces of the church mm. to participate and to be included. And I think, I think that's where we want to be. Yeah. So can we answer the question, our, our overarching question for this series? Why was oh, I baptized? Man. In so many ways, right? Yeah. I feel like each conversation has been, and right, we've only looked at four out of 12 chapters, but each conversation has been a different facet of exploring, yeah. exploring that question, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, well, Kevin, congratulations on this book. Uh, we love talking this through with you. Um, so thanks for being our guest today. Thanks, and, Aaron. And the other times Great to as always well. be together. Uh, listeners, we hope you loved it as well. Buy one for a friend, uh, a family member. Maybe someone's thinking about baptism, thinking about being baptized, wondering why they were baptized. This is the book for them. Yeah. I think. Uh, Libby, thank you. Also, Thank you. for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Great. Always great to have you. Um, and we'll continue. We'll, we'll, what's, what's our future look like? Curious Church future, Matt. We're going to do some summer, some summer stuff. There's always some summer fun. We're gonna, always, we're take, we take a summer road trip. Yep. M- like meta- metaphorically? Is that I think we, yeah, metaphorically. Yeah. We have an old uh, Toyota pickup, I that, believe. That's right. It's yeah. what we're Was it traveling Toyota in. Toyota Tundra? Was it a Tundra we were driving <laughs> in? I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> we'll take a summer road trip. We'll invite you along for that. And then uh, we'll come back in the fall with a, a T- new series. TBD. TBD. Yeah, stay tuned. Maybe we'll get more homework, more books to read. That's the goal. We You'll want learn. our listeners to be worn down You'll by how much <laughs> how much reading we require. We want this podcast to be like school. <laughs> you know, everybody's favorite time. Please submit your essays, and your reflections <laughs> on Kevin's book. There will be due dates. The Curious Church at Granite Springs Uh So until then, listeners, thanks for joining us. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. I'm Kevin. And I'm Libby. Thanks for being curious with us. <laughs> <laughs>